Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark in the seventh chapter. Let us listen together for God's holy word. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, all of you. And understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Now, as a prologue to this sermon, I want to begin by talking about the ways I don't think we should read this text. For starters, plain and simple, I don't think Jesus would tell you not to wash your hands, okay? Let's wash our hands, let's mask up, let's keep doing the things we need to do to be safe, okay? And secondly, and much more importantly, a huge misreading of this text would be to say that this is a debate between Jews and Christians, which makes absolutely no sense. Jesus was Jewish, all of his followers were Jewish, and he did not come to found a new religion. We did that after the fact. He came to draw people close to God. So it would be a complete misunderstanding to hear Jesus saying that Jews are hypocrites. That is not at all what he is saying. Instead, I think it would be more like this. Imagine if as I was giving our welcome and saying no matter who you are or where you are, you are welcome here and God's love is for all of you and let's make sure that this church is sharing God's love with the world. Imagine if then from the back door, a woman came in with her children and they had just come from sleeping in their car in the parking lot and they were very dirty and disheveled. Their hair hadn't been shampooed in days. Their masks were torn and dirty. And then imagine if I, the Pharisee, the one holding the scripture, the one who had the free time to study it during the week, the one wearing the robes and spending my time in the temple, called her up and shamed her and said, how dirty are you and your children? Why aren't you following the recommendations of the CDC? Why are your masks ripped and dirty? When's the last time you washed your hands? And if I made an example of this poor family in front of all of you to shame her, I would be the Pharisee. And I might have said the right things. I might have said we are welcome here, but my heart would be wrong. My heart would be defiled, and my heart would be far from God. Because what's more important to God is the welcome that people need. And the reason I think that this is where Jesus is coming from with this passage is because Jesus chose to live as a homeless person. 
It says in the other Gospels that birds of the air have their nests and the foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He chose, and his disciples chose, to wander around with no home. And in the tradition at that time, instead of having a food pantry like Operation Hope, what people would do who were wealthy landowners and who had crops, actually even if you only had a little kitchen garden, you would leave the edges unharvested. And this was called for people who were gleaning. If there was somebody who was poor, they could walk along and they could take from your field what you had set aside from them. It was like a tithe, like 10% of what you had, because really everybody understood that what they had was not theirs, it was God's, and it was meant to be shared. So all of the edges of the fields were set aside for people who were hungry. That was an ancient food pantry. So Jesus and his friends would go through the fields, and they were often going on long journeys. Picture how dusty their feet were and their sandals, and on the way they would know that they were welcome to take things from the edges of the fields. And of course, they couldn't wash their hands, right? They didn't have silver cups like the Pharisees did in the temple. They didn't have clean linen cloths. But they knew that they were good the way they were, and they could be fed from God's bounty. And they didn't need to go hike four miles to get water to ritually clean their hands. That's what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus intentionally not only chose to live as a homeless person, but to engage with all kinds of people who were also what you might think of as ritually unclean. People who were sick. People who were tax collectors. People who had been told they were outside of God's love, but Jesus knew that wasn't the case. So Jesus was perpetually in a state of needing a good bath because he chose to live alongside people in that way. So I think one of the best ways to understand this passage is to put it alongside another. And so our lesson from the epistle of James says, Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we could become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So back to the idea of gleaning, we are like God's fruits in the field, and we are the first fruits, the ones set aside for God. And so James writes, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If I, as the Pharisee, had waited to hear what somebody had been through, I would have empathy, right? And I would know I had no business shaming someone who had no mask or a dirty mask or hadn't washed their hands, right? Slow to speak, quick to listen, full of empathy. That's what he's calling us to be. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. He writes, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. So everything comes from God. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of watching a child open a gift 
especially if you feel responsible for that child's upbringing and behavior. Have you ever waited on pins and needles, on bated breath, to see how the child would receive that gift and whether you could say they did a good job receiving it or not? Have you fretted over the things they might say? What if they are unwrapping an ugly, itchy sweater from Great Aunt Agatha, and it is two sizes too small, and they would never wear it? What might they say? Or maybe they just received their fourth copy for their fifth grade graduation of, oh, the places you'll go, and you are just hoping they don't say, I already have four of these. Or maybe they have an aunt who loves to make handmade things, and she has made them a beautiful handmade card. And as they open it, and it's a beautiful letter about how much she loves them inside, you are thinking, please don't look for the money or the gift card. Or maybe, you know those little chunky Legos? We have some at the back of the room. Kids grow grow up and eventually move on to the little tiny Legos, but they know at some point those Duplos are for babies. Have you ever worried that somebody might say, oh, this present you gave me, that's too babyish? Or maybe you know a young couple who loves everything mid-century modern, and for a wedding present, they get an antique, hand-me-down, handmade quilt that doesn't go with their taste at all and maybe has a few coffee stains but was very well loved and you know somebody is hoping that they will cherish this gift and hand it down to the next generation. So what might people say? Or what, how might they think? Ew, or I already have this, or I hate this, or I've moved on from this. But I think even worse would be no reaction, right? Like a child who has a mountain of Christmas presents to open and in a frenzy they're just ripping off the paper before they grab the next thing, not even thinking of who gave it to them or what the gift really meant. So we can't always expect children to sincerely say, oh, thank you, it's just what I always wanted, which is what we probably told them to say, right? We can't always expect them to say that and mean it. But we do hope that we will raise grateful children. And I wonder also if we are grateful I wonder how we receive all of these gifts that come from God. Is it ever with disdain? Or is it with appropriate reverence? Or is it like a spoiled child not even realizing that we were given a gift and praying to God for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? I think we forget to feel grateful when we forget that what James says is true. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Even we ourselves, even our existence, is a gift from God. He writes, in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth. God speaks us into existence, just as God speaks creation into existence. We are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It is all from above. So I think one of the reasons Jesus is having this discussion with the Pharisees is also because Jesus sees the goodness in all of creation. One commentator says that a better translation of defiled, not that Jesus was eating with defiled hands, but that he was eating with common hands, just regular old hands. They hadn't been ritually purified. 
And I think for Jesus, imagine how that would make absolutely no sense. The word become flesh. God coming to tabernacle with us, to live among us, to take on a human body. How could somebody say that Jesus' hands were common and not holy? And Jesus would say the same about each of you. Your hands are a sacred gift. There is nothing common about them. Nothing common at all. When we celebrate communion, we celebrate that God comes to us in very simple, humble elements. Broken bread, cup outpoured. But Jesus also shows up in the way, imagine a child with similar elements with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, breaking off half and giving some to a child who'd forgotten their lunch that day. Jesus shows up in the most common elements and in the most simple acts of giving. God is infused in our physical realm. So I think Jesus just fundamentally disagrees with people who don't see that God has already infused Jesus and God's self in this realm, in this existence. It's not a duality like spirit over body, heaven over hell, mind over soul. It's all interconnected for Jesus. And in Jesus, everything comes together. Jesus shows us that we are already uncommon and holy. But I think no matter what I could say about this, no matter what translation might be right, I think the only way to feel this together is just to experience it. So what if I stopped talking so much, the Pharisee up here in the room, and what if we did a little bit of a guided meditation together? What if... We looked at our common hands. What if we thought about how common they are and yet how sacred? What if we thought about our breathing and remembered that God's spirit blew over the face of the waters, God's own breath breathed life into people? What if we closed our eyes and remembered the last time someone who loves us gave us a real hug? Arms thrown open wide, a tight squeeze around the neck. What if we tried to identify a place God has worked in our lives that we might have missed or taken for granted? When were you last stronger than you thought you could be? 
When did you last fix something you thought was beyond repair? Just sit in your body. Sacred gift. Even your pulse, a profound miracle. Let us receive these gifts well in a way that makes God's heart glad to be giving them. But friends, receiving them well and the gratitude is only the start. Picture great Aunt Agatha knitting that ugly sweater. It isn't about the sweater at all, is it? Why did she knit it? What did she think about while she was making it? She thought about the love that she has for that child, and what she longed for was that hug. She longed for that relationship, that connection. She longed for the person receiving the gift to come running to her. It doesn't matter what you say. You can say the right words, but your hearts can be far apart. She longed for their hearts to be close. She longed for that gift to say, I love you, and for the receiving of it to say, I love you too. All God the giver really hopes for in all of these gifts is that we return that love. It is just about the relationship between us and God. So may we be doers of the word in the way we celebrate our embodied existence. May we be doers of the word in the ways we work with God, first fruits of a beloved creation. May we be doers of the word in the ways we respond with love to God's love. Thanks be to God. Amen.